Thanks to the worship team for a beautiful time of worship. And we, we're running a little bit late, and we're still going to have some baptisms, so I'm going to be a little bit shorter, but I'm just going to carry on while the worship team packs up. That's all good. Um, but I'll tell you very quickly that we had our staff function on Friday, our end of years as pastors and the admin team and the staff that work here and kind of make the church happen in the week and on the weekends. And there's one thing that Grant didn't mention in his interview, and that's I've discovered that Grant is a birder. And so he feels like it's socially appropriate to bring his binoculars, and while you're speaking to him, to whip out the binoculars and get totally sidetracked watching birds if there's something more appealing that he hears. So if you ever need pastoral counseling from our senior pastor, don't take him out in nature. And the other thing that I realized is that um, Trevor, our worship pastor, or our worship director, he feels that um, when he was tasked to make a veggie poiki pot, that having three quarters meat and a few chopped up millies in it constitutes a veggie pot. <laughs> okay, so just a heads up, if you ever land up in those situations, you can't say you were forewarned, weren't forewarned. But, you know, I was reflecting as I was leaving how um, I've had years of ups and downs over this Christmas season. Um, as I was in my 30s and my friends had started getting married and having kids, and I, at that stage I was still single, and I remember it actually sometimes starting a very lonely, um, it would be the staff function, and then I would actually feel my loneliness even more. And that's what Christmas does, I guess. It heightens all the emotions. It makes happy feel happier, sadder feel sadder, poor feel poorer, um, chaos feel more chaotic, family feuds feel more hostile, and you get the picture. But for us not to forget, and then I was just thinking in all of those seasons, God is there. You know, the Bible in Psalms speaks about Jesus as being a man who had the oil of gladness more than those around him. So in a sense, his joy exceeded others. And so when we are finding ourselves in joyful moments, we don't need to feel guilty about it. But he was also described as a man of sorrow. And we need to remember that when we're feeling joy, not everyone is feeling joy. And to be so aware and hold people up in prayer to hold others up and support them. And so maybe if you're in a season of gladness and abundance, maybe this this is your time to be a blessing because for many it's firsts without family members. It's anniversaries of things. It's things that come up every year that are difficult. For some it's unanswered prayer and sickness. And so let's be so aware of that as a church as we really look to genuinely hold each other up. But we're going to be looking at this theme again, Advent, Journey to Jesus. And if you didn't get your Advent calendar, there are a few more still in the foyer, but we just decided this year to take a journey together because we can rock up in church on Christmas Day and we've just kind of survived and almost been dragged there. We've done our shopping, we've cooked the food, and it's an afterthought. And so this year, we felt we wanted to go on a journey together as a church, and every year, just every day, just gather together around one Bible verse and take that journey Now, thinking about this whole idea of relationship and the journey to relationship, and a journey to relationship always takes two people. (laughs) You can't have a relationship without another person. You can't force someone into a relationship with you. And so if we think about this, this relationship with Jesus, it starts with him taking the first step. But what makes it so different to any other earthly relationship, it's a step towards perfection. And if you think about it, every relationship that you will experience on earth will have imperfection. 
I was asking Jono the other day, and he answered too quickly for my liking. I'm suspicious of his answer. I'm like, babe, if you could do it all again and choose me, would you? He's like, yes. <laughs> it was suspiciously quick. Um, but knowing he joined the, the, the Joe Circus that day, would he do it again? And I think that's it. Marriage, friendships, family, it's all about aligning yourself with someone else's imperfection and hopefully becoming more Christ-like. But this call to relationship and this journey with Jesus really starts with, with him taking the first step and calling us. And sometimes the problem we have in life is we've tried to fill this deep desire to have a perfectly good relationship with other people or things. And it will never satisfy because we've been wired to have a perfect relationship with our Creator. I love the way the Bible speaks about the anchor. In Hebrews 6 verse 19, it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And so the writer almost knew just that, that our souls would be like tossed around on the waves and would need an anchor because we all need in our imperfection, we all need an anchor. And so when we look at Jesus and who he is, if you think about it, a, a firm and secure foundation for our soul, that is the firm and secure foundation and everything else will be inferior. But as we, as imperfect people, because we bring ourselves into the mix in our relationship with God, if we as imperfect people are to step into this relationship with a perfect God, it's so worth over this time and as we prepare our hearts for Christmas to really look at the condition of our own hearts and how are things looking for us when it comes to our faith journey and to look and what does our trust look like right now? And when we look at trust, that is the calling that God calls us to in relationship. So when you know something, knowing means I can retell a story. I know what has happened this week in my family's life, and I can tell you, you know a lot of things. And we can repeat them. And then we believe them that they really happened. I believe because I saw. And then there's another level where we take this belief and we start to exercise it, and that is the journey of trust. And this is how um, Paul describes it. He says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, because I know whom I believed, not just believed, I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And so he's speaking about his relationship with God being one that he can completely trust. So I just need to move this out the way without knocking everything over. There we go. I can see better now. Um, and, and so, and I was thinking about this whole concept of trust. I don't know if you've ever seen those trust falls. I was trying to insert a video, but it was a bit pixelated. I couldn't find a good quality. Um, but a trust fall is basically, and we're not going to do it here, but basically someone would stand over here, a whole lot of people would stand behind, and then they would face there, close their eyes, and then just fall backwards and hope that everyone trusts, a little trust that everyone catches them. And I saw quite a funny one. It's a French family, and there's like about five of them, brothers and the parents, and they're telling the child to jump. And this cute little boy, he goes, and he closes his eyes, and he jumps, but he jumps in the wrong direction. And so you just see the mom going, <laughs> and the clip ends. Um, <clears throat> that is not the kind of trust we are being called to. We are being called to a complete trust. And when you trust in something completely, when you trust in God completely, it should change your whole life. 
not parts of your life, not the certain ones that you choose to surrender to God on a Sunday or when you read your Bible, every area of your life. But it's because he's trustworthy and you can trust him with those. And today's verse, if you've got the Advent calendar at home and you looked at it, I don't know if anyone's looked at it yet. Out of those that have looked at it, who needed to actually look up the verse? Because the verse is John 3.16. Okay, so even my son woke up early and I was telling him about it and I actually didn't even realize he knew the verse. And when I started, he said, oh, I know that one. And he, and he repeated it because that's everyone's response when you hear John 3.16. And so at the ATM service, everyone's like, I know what you're preaching on. And the reason a lot of people know it, and don't worry if you don't know it, that's fine too. Um, in fact, it's probably better for me because then it's more fresh material. Um, but the reason that we do actually um, love this verse as believers is because that in John 3.16, it almost has the summarized version. Some would say the gospel in a nutshell. It has many important elements. And, you know, kind of as people, we like to simplify things. Do you love those apps that are now coming up with like summaries of books? So you don't have to read the book anymore. You can just get the summary and then figure out if you really want to read it or sound really smart without reading it. It's like a nice little hack. Well, this is kind of like something that sums up the message of the gospel in one Bible verse. And so we're going to be looking at it, but we're going to be challenging our own thinking. We're going to be asking ourselves, how much do you actually trust this? Because you, if you're like me, when I read it, I was like, oh, it seems so easy to get John 3.16 to preach on. And then I thought, huh, like how has this become so normal to me? And then I felt that's exactly what you need to challenge on is that these things, if you aren't a Christian and you haven't stepped into that relationship with God, you probably need to hear If you've been a Christian for 50 years, it's still the things that you need to hear because your dangers has become normal to you. And so how much are we trusting in all of this? And so we're going to start very simply breaking it up. And the first is, for God so loved the world. The story begins with God. When we come to Christmas time, it doesn't start with just Jesus in a manger. There's a backstory. There's a story that happened before the story. So when for God, it's starting with God. I remember when I was pregnant that I almost started to feel invisible because people feel like it's socially appropriate to just come and talk to your belly, touch it, and random strangers. I mean, it would be fine if it was someone that you knew, but people feel like there's an ownership to your body, but they're getting caught up in the cuteness of it. It's the same reason you might wonder why moms come to church with their babies strapped to them. It's because they're worried one of you is going to steal it and grab it and the baby's going to scream. We get so wrapped up in the cuteness of a baby that we forget what else is happening. And shame, poor fathers are probably even more insignificant and invisible. But, you know, everyone gets caught up in this, like, yeah, this, this time of life. I've never had so many people interacting with me in the shops and telling me how to parent, which is wonderful. <laughs> Not. <laughs> Pick and paid. Constantia Village is the worst. Um, and, but, but it's not. No one has bad intentions, and that's the point. They're getting wrapped up in the moment. And it's the same at Christmas. No one has bad intentions by coming to church, by getting excited, but we can forget the Heavenly Father behind the child, the big picture that is coming together so beautifully. So it starts with God. And then not only that, the motivation is love for God so loved. Because we find with the for God, a lot of us, I believe in God, that's okay. But where we battle to believe is so loved. That that was one of his 
big motivations and starting points was a motivation of love. If you read that verse again, it doesn't say, for God so wanted to mentally engage with the world. It doesn't say, for God so wanted to make the world a happy place. It doesn't say, for God so wanted to make people's lives easy. It says, for God so loved. Isn't that the best place to start a story? Creator of the universe, the person who knew you before you were born, who has a purpose for your life, for God so loved, and that's where it all started. So the question is, how much are you trusting in that statement for God, the almighty creator of the world, who not even a bird will die without him knowing, not even a sparrow will drop without him knowing, that creator God starts by loving you first and taking the first step. And so often our past experiences of love, our warped perspectives, our hurt, our pain, our not feeling good enough for God, straight away crosses out that first word, that next word, so loved. And it's not just for God. It's for God, so loved. And are you resting in that love? You know, I think so many people see Jesus as the loving God who came to earth and loved everyone, but we see God as this scary person or scary creator, scary being. But even in the Old Testament, listen to this, Jeremiah 31 verse 3. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. That is how he wanted to draw us into a relationship was with unfailing kindness. What does it look like? What does your love relationship with him look like? And are there things that are stopping you from accepting his love and kindness? Then the next part is that he gave his one and only son. And when I was preparing, I was laughing at the irony of that, the one and only, because I'd just seen some advert or something for that hotel, the fancy schmancy one. I thought, isn't that ironic? Because Jesus, he had nowhere to be, his mom had nowhere to give birth. Mary had nowhere to give birth. And so there was no one and only there. But he came as the one and only. And he was the one and only son. And the thing we also forget here is that Jesus' story doesn't start in a manger when he comes through Mary, a human being. His timeline starts long before then because he was a creation. He's part of, he's with God the Father. He's seeing everything happen. He's this almighty being who has now chosen to humble himself. He's gone from a sinless state, from perfection, from constant joy and gladness, from constant relationship and unity with the Father. And now he comes to earth and all of a sudden, He has to rub shoulders with pain and sorrow. And how very jarring that must have been for him. Even at 12 years old, when he gets lost, he they find him and he's saying, I must be about my father's business. There's this put on his heart because he sees so desperately what everyone else isn't seeing. He comes as the one and only. And not just that, but he's not just like any other person. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what's so special about Jesus and why he's not like anyone else, it's he's the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus too. If you're battling to understand and stories help you to understand, look at the Gospels and you can find out what God is like. 
And then after he provided purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so not only did he represent God, but he walked and he walked the journey on earth until he died on the cross. A death he was never guilty for and some punishment he should never have taken. And then the story doesn't stop there because he is in heaven. And he's, he's, he's there and it's a timeline that started it at the beginning. We read about it and we know. And so we know this is not a normal person that we are dealing with. And so when we come to Christmas and when we come to celebrate Jesus, we don't celebrate just the baby in the manger. We celebrate the big picture. And that is why it's such a big deal for us. If you look at the book of um, the writings of Paul, which is a lot of the New Testament, when he's talking about Jesus, he's not kind of going and looking at the baby in the manger the whole time. He's talking about things like, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to have fellowship with him and, and about his suffering and talking about his suffering on the cross. And so there's a big picture of Jesus' life that's being celebrated. And so my question here is, are you trusting in Jesus' life and who he is? Have you even stopped to consider who this Jesus is? And when we go, we trusting and going back to the trust for, it means I can trust what Jesus has done. I can put everything into it. It's a message I can trust. And so what is your trust looking like when it comes to Jesus? And then that whoever believes in him. And this is an interesting one because how much are you trusting in what you believe? And belief in the Bible looks completely different to the world's version of belief. The calling, once you've believed, demands so much more. And in fact, belief has become a very watered-down idea in the world because I can have a thought, I can then go and Google a few, like, articles to substantiate my thought, and then all of a sudden Google changes my algorithms, and now everyone believes what I believe. And then a few months later, I change. You just have to Google like carnivore diet, and then everyone's like, no, vegetarian. And, and you can change, and you can find a million people to support your beliefs. I was laughing the other day because I'm a, I'm a, it's, it's, I don't know if there's a travel version of this, champagne taste with a beer bottle pocket, but basically I'm a traveler who doesn't travel. <laughs> it's quite pathetic actually, now that I say it to all of you, but basically I love travel, so I watch travel vlogs. So, and the other day I went onto YouTube and it was just travel things, and all of a sudden these families that go to other countries and like renovating a house in Tuscany and here and there and now one in Portugal, and it was all these things, and I realized YouTube's giving me what, exactly what I want to hear, and I kind of feel like my life needs to be good, and I need to go and renovate some stone house somewhere to be happy. <laughs> it's, it's so pathetic that I've got as far as Azerbaijan, and there's a little fa- couple that bake all day in their homesteaders, and I can watch it while I'm making supper. It's aimless. Um, but basically, the whole thing is that, that it's that concept of my beliefs are not getting challenged. They are actually getting fine-tuned, and people are just helping me on what to think. That is not the belief of the Bible. We've been teaching the kids um, at, in, on a Friday night. We were taking them through this thing called Foundation Worldview, and it was such a simple concept, teaching them what truth is. But we realized that more and more this generation is going to have to learn what truth is, and it's just truth is what is real. There is real and there is true, and we need to know the truth and follow the truth. 
You cannot have half-truth. God isn't a half-truth. He's creator of the universe. So if you follow belief in God, you follow the truth, and the truth doesn't change. The truth also doesn't fit into your life. You see this also throughout the Bible. People that would find the truth, and they would just orientate their whole life journeying towards it. One little example is Abraham. A man that God gave a promise to, and I love him because the same, he heard God's voice, but he's yet to really understand God. There's no Bible. You know, the disciples, I guess, had an unfair advantage because they saw Jesus. And so they had this faith, but hey, they saw him. But we can find these ones relatable because these are people that had to take that journey of trust, like we sometimes have to do if we are going to believe God. And Hebrews 11 speaks about Abraham like this. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, and God called him. He obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And imagine that, just to stop there, how many times this year have you felt God speak to you and gone on a journey even though you didn't know where you were going, just out of obedience? I found that so challenging because I even realized there, the way I live life in that is I just don't... I don't always step out like I should. And so I found that so significantly challenging because Abraham was a man who just went, there's something else here. I'm going to follow the way. And this is what he saw. By faith, he made his home in in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. And this I love, for he was looking forward to a city whose foundations and architect and builder is God. And isn't that so amazing that, that that is what he was looking for. He wasn't looking to gain any earthly riches or make this promise happen himself. He was looking forward to a different city. And so the question here is how much are you trusting in the journey? How much, what does your belief look like? And does your whole life go towards it and orientate towards it? Does every aspect of your life Or are you holding areas of your life back? God, you can have this part, but you can't have my hurt. God, you can have my heart, but you can't have my wealth. You can have this, but you can't have my habits. You can, and we put these conditions on. Belief demands everything. And then the last little bit is shall not perish, but have eternal life. And what a comfort to live life in this way. And the thing for believers, that, that is so amazing is that from the time you step into relationship with Jesus, you also enter a different timeline. And it's a strange one to try and understand, but the day that you submit your life to God and become a believer, life all of a sudden starts a new timeline. And that's your timeline of relationship with God in his kingdom into eternity. And so all of a sudden, we are not defined by the skin that we wear and our bodies that we carry, because even when we die, we will continue to live. It is not like that for everyone. The Bible is clear that not everyone will respond to this message. You see it even in the time when Jesus was born. You see people responding differently. You see Mary and Joseph acting in obedience. You see shepherds and these wise men coming. You see some hostile towards the message. And you see a lot of the world indifferent to who Jesus was. Not every person chose to follow Jesus. Remember, a relationship takes two. But the amazing thing is that when you enter into relationship, this is what the Bible says in John 5 verse 24. 
Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Because if you don't live life in submission to God and with the creator, life does look different. But you cross over from death to life. What a beautiful promise. 1 John 5 verse 11 says, and this is a testimony God has given us eternal, oh, this is a testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. And so if you're really feeling like you're lacking life, maybe it's because God is calling you to start a relationship with him. And for those that do have a relationship, maybe he's calling you to trust him more and go back to some of the basic promises. Luke 10 says this, Do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That is really what we get to rejoice in and what we are looking forward to. That is where our joy comes from. If it was just up to us to try and extract joy from life, there will always be days when we are disappointed. We had such a disaster in our home this week where my parents were staying. We, it was John O'Callis and then Alexander on the Saturday night, he got that gastro bug that was going around. And on the same night, the rest of the household got it. So six of us throwing up, getting sick. It was just a disaster. Sorry if you've got a squeezy stomach. Um, and I found myself at 2 a.m. driving to Engine to just go get like a bit of Coke for everyone. And I actually, so I've told you about my dad before because he's 94 years old, but this time I thought he was going to die. I kept on going to check on him and I was feeling so sick myself. And um, he's got a heart condition and he was the sickest out of all of us. So I've never seen him so ill. And as I was going, I was just, I actually got a little bit like low in the next few days and just thinking, like, is this it? Is this how life goes that you just kind of make it through and then you land up worrying that even a gastro bug is going to take you out? And I felt so despondent. And I was challenged in that moment to once again think about, am I aligning my joy and my life and my happiness with circumstances and not in God's promises? And just seeing a father who's got total joy and complete peace in God in that situation, and he really was suffering. And it once again just challenged my heart to go, where's my joy coming from? It's a silly example because I know far worse things have happened to a lot of you. But just to know it's that what do we anchor our joy in, the anchor for our soul. John 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, that they may have life and have it to the full. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't it amazing the contrast there that the devil will try and come and rob you of every joy that you have? He will come and try and steal life away. He will come and try and put the fear of death into us and even the fear of life. But Jesus is the good shepherd who comes and lays down his life for his sheep so that we can live. He dies so that we can live. What an amazing message. And so the last question is, in in the Jesus birth story, what does your trust look like? And are are you orientating your life towards the trust? Or are you anchoring your hope in this world? I was reading the other day about those biospheres in the, in the Arizona desert. I don't know if you know about them, but they're these like experiments where they would lock people in these humongous domes 
for a few years and try and get them to be self-sufficient, grow food, and almost create these seasons and microclimates and that sort of thing. And something that they observed in the one, I think it was the biosphere too, was that they, um, they, the trees flourished and they grew quite quickly. And then all of a sudden the trees fell over. And the reason the trees fell over is because there was no wind <laughs> in the dome. And so the roots weren't getting established and the trees fell over. And that really is probably the best analogy of our lives that even the wind, even the troubles, even the times where you're really battling to trust God, your roots are growing strong. We haven't been promised an easy life. We haven't been promised that everything will go our way. But when it isn't, there's still hope because our roots are getting established. And the only way to get roots is to be rooted in God and in his word. Because that is the way he designed life to be. Not to be in a dome where there's no wind and no opposition and nothing to happen. But to have a faith that is tested and is strong. So my question here is how much are you trusting God in this season? What does your trust look like? And going back to some very basic verses that we know, has all of this become normal to you where you don't even think twice about the gift of salvation? And we are going to be closing and we're actually having baptisms now. So I'm going to um, ask those that are getting baptized. I'm going to pray. You guys can go to the back so long. Um, we're going to have a worship song and then we're going to baptize. But baptism is one perfect step of obedience that God calls us to. And it's one where we say we have surrendered and we are going to trust him. And so much so that we're going to take a firm decision and put a line in the sand and say, I'm living my life for God. And so that is what we're really celebrating. So what a beautiful way to end John 3.16. But let's pray. Lord, I pray for everyone here. Wherever we find ourselves in this journey with you, we know that you are God. And it's by no mistake that each person who's here is here. You have a plan, you have a purpose, and you have a message for each of us to hear. Lord, we thank you that creator of the universe cares about us so deeply and intimately that you sent Jesus to take the place and stand in our place, to show us what your heart was like, but also to to do what only Jesus could do, to die on the cross. Lord, we thank you that through that we can enter relationship with you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Amen.